Uh, so we have been, as a church, been going through the book of Acts. Um, today he will be speaking on the book of um, Acts chapter 6. Um, and I will be doing the scripture reading. Um, Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eliza. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, let's try that again. Good afternoon, everyone. Come on, y'all had one extra hour of sleep today, right? I don't know what it was. I woke up this morning and I was like, it's 5.54, but I feel so good. And I realized daylight saving time was uh, over the evening. And uh, I don't know, I don't know. Just even being here at worship service today, I've been here maybe two or three times, and I just feel something a little bit different in the air today, right? And I was like, maybe it's the extra sleep, or maybe the Lord really wants to do something, and maybe I think it's both, right? Um, so uh, yeah, as Eliza said, we're going through the book of Acts, and I have uh, the privilege of speaking out of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So can we just bow our, our, our heads and close our eyes one more time? And as I was just saying just now, I just want to take a moment before I actually get into the teaching. You know, it's so important for us to really prepare, prepare ourselves to receive the word. And sometimes before I go into a time where I'm going to be doing some scripture meditation or a time of prayer, um, I actually just slow myself down. And I take three deep, long breaths and I just want to encourage you to do that. And as you breathe in the Spirit of God, THMC, I want you to remember that the Lord is with you. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. As you breathe in, again, the life of God, remember that the Lord is for you, THMC. And as we breathe in one more time, the breath of God. We remember that God is all around you. Can I get an amen? So God, I just thank you for just even this pause to be able to reorient ourselves to your very presence. And Lord, we want to give our full attention, our eyes, ears, and just as Janet and the worship team led us today, not just our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart, the ears, Lord, of our spirit to be able to receive and to respond to your word. 
So God, would you do that today? Would you bring a word of strengthening and encouragement to this body here at THMCEM? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So earlier this year, my daughter Emily, I have two daughters. My oldest daughter is Emily. She's going to be 13 in about a month from now. And she kept complaining to my wife and I and saying that, you know, her legs were hurting. And so we thought, oh, maybe she's, you know, doing too much ballet because she goes to ballet about three, four times a week. Yes, and I'm the person that's responsible for driving her. So we have a lot of conversations there. And I thought maybe, oh, maybe she's doing too much ballet. And then, you know, she kept on complaining again. Another month passed, and she's like, I don't know what it is, but my legs hurt. And, and I thought, well, maybe she injured it. Maybe she was doing too much, you know, strenuous exercising. I took her on a couple of runs with me once, and I thought maybe she pulled something. And then, you know, even after another month passed, like occasionally, right, just every now and then she'll say, oh, daddy, my, my legs kind of hurt. And I thought maybe at this point, maybe if it's not the injury, if it's not from over-exercising, that maybe, you know, she has like the, you know, like, you know, some people have like the uneven leg length, right? And it causes like uneven weight distribution. And I thought maybe it's that. Maybe she needs to go see like a chiropractor or something. And uh, eventually she stopped complaining. You know, she stopped saying, you know, anything about it bothering her. And then several months later, I was working at my desk upstairs and I look up and I see my wife standing next to my daughter, Emily. And this is what I saw. I want to show you a little picture of it. Oh, I forgot. I have the clicker right here. And this is what I saw, right? So Emily is 12. She's, she'll be 13 next month. And I realized she went through a, quite a growth spurt because in all of our prior pictures, she was at least like a head taller or like right here. But now she's actually, if you can tell, she's actually taller than my wife, maybe by like a centimeter or two. My wife is five, one and a quarter. She always makes sure uh, that I mentioned the quarter part. Right? And Emily has now surpassed her. And I began to realize that all of the complaining that she was doing at the beginning of this year was not because of overexercising. It was not due to injury. It was probably the result of what's called growing pains. Right? Growing pains. I don't know about you guys, have you experienced growing pains as you were growing up? Right? It's like when your body is literally stretching, your bones are actually lengthening along with it, the tendons and all the muscles and ligaments and fibers in your body. And it could sometimes create pain and discomfort. And in Emily's case, that was the case. And the reason why I share this story with you, THMC, is because actually, this is actually a principle for all of life. It's not just for kids, it is not just for adults, but for even churches as well. That in order for something to grow, in order for someone to grow, they have to go through growing pains. This is a principle that could be observed in all of life, not just in our children, but again, even with the church. Let's recap a little bit. Acts chapter 6, right? We're told, right, this beautiful story in these last five, six chapters where you guys have seen what started like at this, as this small little ragtag bunch of disciples hiding in this place called the upper room in Acts chapter 1. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, the Pentecost takes place, and all of a sudden, the church begins to multiply rapidly. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord continued to add to the number of those who were being saved. 
The growth didn't stop there. In Acts chapter 4, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's only just counting men, okay? This wasn't counting the women and the children at this point. Could be actually double or even triple that amount. In Acts chapter 5, we see more of the same. Yet more and more believers were being brought to the Lord. Large numbers of both men and women. And even when you get to our passage today in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, right? Still more of the same. That the number of disciples was increasing. So what you see in the first six chapters of Acts is the early church going through quite a number of growth spurts. But then when you get to Acts chapter 6, and Eliza read this text for us this afternoon, we now see that there wasn't just a growth spurt, but for the very first time, the early church is now confronted with a growth challenge, a growth pain. And we're told in this particular incident, the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews are people who are Jews, but they were also kind of like, um, they didn't grow up in Jerusalem. You know, how many guys were uh, born here in America, just by a show of hands, right? So you guys would be Latino American, Korean American, maybe Chinese American, right? Um, you know, you guys are more like the Hellenistic Jews. You guys are more bicultural. And then you had the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews are like Korean Koreans, or just like Latino, Latino, right? Or they're just like Chinese, Chinese, okay? And there was this dispute because the widows, right, of the Hellenistic Jews were getting shortchanged when it came to the food distribution, okay? Now, we're going to examine this a little bit more in detail when we get into our first point. But the thing that I wanted to bring to you is this, right? Just as the early church was experiencing all of these growth spurts, that wasn't the only thing that was growing, the number of people. Also, the number of problems and issues also grows with the church. And so when we look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 today, we're going to do a little case study, right? Because this growth pain or this growing challenge was serious enough that it could have actually impeded all of the progress, all of the growth, and all of the maturity that the early church was experiencing during this time. And when we look at how they resolved this issue, it's going to bring to us two very important principles that every church, including THMC, must have, must try to follow to their best ability in order for you guys to advance your mission, in order for this church to continue to grow, in order for this church to continue to mature and flourish as well. So what are these two things that we see from the early church's growing pains that actually teaches us about how we can actually continue to grow and mature as the body of Christ? Here's the first thing that we see in our text today. And the first point of today's message is this, is that in order for the church to grow, the leadership capacity of the church must also grow. In order for THMC to grow, in other words, the leadership capacity of THMC must also grow 
with it. Now, where do I get this? I want you guys to turn your Bibles, and let's look at the problem again. Acts chapter 6, verses the second half of verse 1, right? You have the Hellenistic Jews, right? So, again, like in THMC settings, it is kind of like, you know, the EM and the KM, okay? And there's this, there's this tension, there's this dispute. And the EM is saying, basically, hey, our widows, they're not getting the proper fair share of the food distribution, it's kind of like how you should imagine this issue. And you might think at this very moment that this is actually an issue of favoritism, that this is an issue of inequality. Maybe some of you guys might look at this and be like, maybe it's, a, it's an issue or a problem that's related to ethnic tension. And it could be some of those things. But I assure you that the root of the issue was not one that was related to ethnic tension, or equality. The real root of the issue here was capacity, leadership capacity, the church's ability to serve the needs of the community type of capacity. What do I mean? Okay, look at, look at the solution, okay? They didn't bring the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews together to have like, you know, kumbaya and then try to, you know, resolve their differences. They didn't do that. Right? So it was not just an ethnic issue, nor did they actually try to address some of the favoritism that they thought was happening. No, the solution that the early church comes up with is to pick seven leaders, seven leaders from among you whom we will appoint to this duty of actually serving at the tables to make sure that all of the widows were getting their proper fair share of the food. This was not an inequality issue, nor was it a favoritism issue or an ethnic issue. It was the church leadership's capacity to serve the growing needs of the church. And that's where we get this first point, that in order for the church to grow, the leadership capacity of the church must also grow with it. Now, how do I illustrate this? You know, um, there was a book that I read by uh, his pastor named Wayne Cordero. He wrote this book called Doing Church as a Team, or Doing Church Leadership as a Team. And uh, he uses different props in that book. And I was looking in my kitchen. I did not have those props, so I only found these two mixing bowls, okay? And so to demonstrate for you what I mean by that first point, right, about the leadership capacity and the church's ability to serve the needs that capacity, they have to be equal. Uh, I wanted to just simply share with you guys, I don't know if you guys are into baking, but um, how, many, how many liters or quarts do you think this, this bowl will hold? Any guesses? Come on, I know some of you bake here. Two? Close. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, one. It's one, right? So one quart, okay? Anything beyond one quart, whether I fill it up with water or what my daughter does every now and then, she loves to bake, and she like, puts all this cookie dough here, and she wants to make more cookies, right? If she's only going to make one batch, maybe one quart will do. But if she wants to bake cookies for THMCEM, she knows that she's going to need a greater capacity. She's going to need a bigger bowl. Why? Because she's going to need more cookie dough. Now, here's the interesting thing that I see about church right now, is that oftentimes the needs are this big, but the leadership capacity is only this much. And you have this weird principle called the Pareto principle where 80% of the ministry is being done by 20% of the people. 
So the need is this much, and the demand is this much, but the leadership capacity is only this much. What is going to happen eventually to this leadership capacity here? They're going to get tired. They're going to get discouraged. They're going to get burnt out. Right? Another interesting observation that I see during COVID is that you know, a church used to have the leadership capacity that could do this. But in COVID, we saw a lot of transitions where some leaders left, and now their leadership capacity is like this. But churches are still operating at this level when their leadership capacity is only here, right? And what do you think is going to happen when they're denying the reality of this is only how much I can serve, how much I can hold, and how much I could meet the need or demand. But yet, we're still running like a church that still thinks it's this at this capacity, right? And there's a sense of denial to just embrace reality and to say this is kind of where it's at. And I get that that's very challenging to do. If you want to meet a need and demand that is this much, the leadership capacity must also be this much. And if you are currently here right now, okay, because of COVID, because of whatever situations or things that might have happened in the church, then you, we have to adjust the load of ministry and the load of responsibility on these leaders to, at this level. Okay? You cannot outgrow capacity. So the early church's solution was, okay, we have the 12 we're going to add another tier of leaders called the diaconos, the deacons of the church. And by adding the seven, we're going to increase the leadership capacity of the church. And that's how they resolved the issue. And so in the same way, THMC, as you guys are working and managing and trying to lead your way out of this season of COVID where you might have seen some leaders transition in, some leaders come in, what is your capacity right now? What is your capacity? And with that capacity, how are you serving the needs of that? It's a question that we have to also consider and reflect. But in, again, if THMC is going to get to a place where it's going to be able to grow and expand and mature, the number of leaders and the number of people who are serving, that capacity must also grow as well. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So that's the first thing that we learn from Acts 6, 1 through 7, is that in order for a church to grow, you got to start with the leadership. You got to start with the, the number of people who are serving and volunteering and taking ownership in the ministry to lead the church to a greater place of capacity. The second thing that we learn uh, about the, the church, uh, from, from the church, early church, is this. In order for the church to grow, the quality of its leadership must also grow. The quality of its leadership must also grow. So in the first point, it's really about width, right? It's about the quantity of leaders. But again, the early church, to meet a growing need, only elected seven leaders, and it tells you that it's not all about quantity. It's not all about the number of people that are serving and the number of people that are leading. 
Because when they chose seven, they were very specific about who they chose. They chose leaders of quality. And what, was the, what, were, what were some of the qualities or characteristics of leaders that they, they were looking for when they were elevating them to this position of being deacons in the early church? Well, I think the first quality that we see in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, is that they were people of good character. Everyone say good character. Yeah. What do we get this? Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The first characteristic that's listed, the first quality that's listed, is that you will choose among you seven men who are of good repute. Good repute. The word repute there in the original language, in the Greek, it's the word martyreos. Martyreos is actually where we get the word martyr. Okay? Now, I know in today's vernacular, martyr means someone who has actually died or sacrificed or given their life for the faith. But the original context of what a martyr is is someone who actually is a good witness, someone who bears testimony, good testimony about their faith in Christ. That's actually the meaning of the word, the essential meaning of that word. So when it says, pick, pick among you seven men who have good martyreos, what is it talking about? Just that when you actually look at this leader's life, pick someone that is actually bearing good witness about their faith. The virtues and the values of Christendom, of kingdom life. Pick people who have that essence, that kind of character. That's what the early church decided to do. And, you know, one of the ways that you can examine, does this person's life bear good witness about their faith in Christ or about who Christ is, is to actually look at what is the witness of the church and the church community. Can the church community say, hey, when I look at this leader, I see that he is a person of good character. That when I see this leader, I can actually vouch for that leader and say, hey, I trust that leader. That's a leader of integrity. That's a leader who takes responsibility. There's a, that's a leader who I can bear witness to, again, that same word, and testify that he is really a person of good character. That should be one of the first characteristics of people that we look for when we're appointing them into leadership roles. Can I get an amen? Now, why do I, should, why do I say that this is so important? Because, you know, in the Western church, we become really, really good at finding gifted and talented people and putting them into positions of leadership. There's nothing wrong with that. God is the one who actually gave those people those gifts, right? Whether it's speaking, whether it's leading worship, whether it's prayer, you know, whether it's actually discipling people or evangelizing, God is the one who actually gave those gifts to his church. But the Western church, I feel like, has become so obsessed with persona with gifts and with talents that we actually forgot about what the early church started with, which was good character. And we have been in a season in the last decade where, man, God has done some serious exposing in the church. Where we have seen the fallout of what happens when you stack everything on the line behind very gifted leaders who have tons of charisma, who can move a room, who can fill a sanctuary. But yet on the interior of their life, something was obviously missing. 
And I think God wants us to go through a healthy reset in the church to say, hey, character doesn't just matter. It shouldn't just be number four on the list. It should be number one on the list. And that you need to find people and you need to look for leaders who the community of faith can vouch for and say, hey, I trust that man. I trust that sister, right? They're not perfect, as I'll talk about in the next point. But yet, I see that there is a character, the character of Christ that actually exudes through them. And I hope that THMC, as you guys are looking for your next pastor, that you guys are looking for, don't just look for people who, who can move the room, who can speak with eloquence, but look for someone who has the shepherd's heart. Look for someone who has the character of Christ, right? And don't just go by talent and gifting alone. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Number two, it's not just good character, but it was someone that was spirit-filled. It's someone that was spirit-filled. Now, being spirit-filled, honestly, when I see um, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, someone who was full of the Spirit, sometimes I'm like, Lord, am I qualified to preach today? Because I, I don't know. Sometimes my, my, my weeks go up and down, and sometimes I feel filled with the Spirit, and sometimes I feel like I'm really empty on the Spirit. All right? Again, the picture here is not one of perfection, and I'll unpack that in just a little bit. But I, I want to ask you, like, do you know... When you think about someone who's spirit-filled, what, what, what comes to mind? When you think of someone who's a, a spirit-filled person, what's, what's the first character? Or, yeah, someone who's joyful, okay? Jeanette, how about for yourself? Someone who's spirit-filled, what comes to mind? Yeah, compassionate. Joanne, how about you? Yeah, humble, yeah. Eliza? You can think of yeah, compassion, okay, yeah. Yeah, there's so many things. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, right, and so, so much of what you guys actually mentioned are actually listed, you know, in the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. In the context of Acts 6, okay, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to be true to the text. There's two qualities that emerges from someone who's actually a spiritual person. Number one, that person's going to be wise. I'm not talking about worldly ways wise. I'm not talking about someone who's just shrewd, who has sweet street smarts, you know, who can kind of, you know, maneuver and work their way around, but someone who has this deep, pervading sense of wisdom. Yeah. When I pray for my son, I, I always pray, Lord, I please help Elijah. Right? It's very similar to the, the prayer of Solomon. Help him to grow up to be a man who has a wise and discerning heart. Someone who actually seeks the counsel of the Lord. Someone who knows the heart of God for that matter, for that decision, right? And isn't just trying to figure it out, out on their own and just trying to do their own logical thing, but someone who actually surrenders and yields themselves to the leadership of God in their life and says, this is what I want to do because even though it doesn't make sense to me, the wisdom of God tells me so. That's wisdom. And that's what happens when someone is filled with the Spirit. Because when someone's filled with the Spirit, they're not, they're, they actually will submit themselves to the authority of Christ and to the leadership of God so that even when something doesn't make sense, it still says, I trust you and I will follow you. And again, that leads us into the second key quality of what happens when someone's filled with the Spirit. They are also not just filled with wisdom, but they are also filled with faith. Why? Because in Acts 6, 5, when they're describing Stephen, 
who, okay, I don't want to be the spoiler here, but as you know, he's the one that was actually martyred, right, and killed for his faith. But they described him as a man who was not only full of the Holy Spirit, but he was full of what? He was full of faith. Faith here is not just I'm passionate for God. Faith here is not just I know a lot of things about the Bible and theology and you know, the background and the original languages. Faith here is I trust God. So that even when my circumstances are very, very difficult and I don't see God working through them, and even though I am grieved in my heart because this season or this situation or my marriage or my job is so hard, yet something deep inside of them says, I choose to trust God. I choose to follow. I choose to pray. I choose to surrender. That's faith. The more and more I live Christian life, it's not about how high It's about how deep my pervading sense of trust in the Lord is. That even when all my circumstances tell me otherwise, I still choose to surrender and follow Him. So just to recap on this point, because I really want to make this clear, being spirit-filled does not mean that the leader is going to be perfect. I feel like because of all the things that we have seen where, you know, all the fallout of leadership, leaders being resigning, leaders, uh, you know, falling into moral failure, because of all the stuff that we've seen in the church in the last decade or two, I feel like it has tarnished the witness of the church. And in, in the tarnishing of the witness of the church, here's what I think has happened. There's been people who have left the church or people who have always been critical of the church And they are like just waiting for the next Instagram story or the next news article that says, oh, this leader, you know, said something he shouldn't have said or she did something that she shouldn't have done. She ended up eating with someone that she shouldn't have had a meal with. And they're just like getting ready to pounce. And like, I I, I hope THMC is not going to be that type of a community. I hope it's a graceful community that understands and accepts that leaders, we too, we're still human at the end of the day. We still make mistakes. We still fall. And that being a leader doesn't mean that, yes, it is being full of faith because that's what the Spirit of God does. But it doesn't mean that you can't struggle. It doesn't mean that as a leader that you can't go through seasons of doubt or that you can't go through a long extended period of the wilderness and you're asking questions like, where are you, God? Right? Because again, faith is not measured by your circumstances. It's how you trust God and how you move through that season, right? And I, I, if that was the qualification, I would not be standing here giving you this message. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Even last year as I was transitioning out of my church, I went through a very long extended season in the wilderness. You know, And it was God's grace that actually kept me <laughs> holding on. I would like to say it was me who that trusted God and held on, but actually it was the other way around. It was God's grace that sustained me through that season. But even that too is faith. Can I get an amen? But that's the character and the picture of what we're looking for when we're thinking about a spirit-filled leader who is also a faith-filled leader. Okay? So again, a spirit-filled leader is someone who abides in Christ, who is walking with him, 
It's a leader that actually seeks Jesus' counsel and wisdom and not his very own. And a spirit-filled leader is a leader that trusts in Jesus even when times get hard. Can I get an amen? Last but not least, the third quality that we see of the type of leaders that the early church decided to bring into leadership was that they were servant leaders. Servant leaders. Remember, the problem, right, was that the 12, they needed to continue to preach the word because that was actually what was causing the church to grow, right? Because the word of God was being proclaimed and preached. And uh, it almost sounds like when I first read this text, I was like, man, it sounds like the apostles are saying like, hey, we're too good for this. You know, we can't just be like serving and busting tables. Let us preach the word. It's not like that, guys. They were doing, they were doing that first, okay? But they realized that they were also hitting capacity issues as well because there's so much hunger to hear the gospel and so many places where they can go to proclaim it that they couldn't just be caught doing this while they had to actually go out and proclaim the word. Okay, so that's the picture that I want to try to balance out here. But it said that we should actually find people who can actually serve these tables and serve not just the widows, but all of the growing needs of that church. So they weren't looking for people, again, who were just gifted, who were talented, who had charisma. They were looking for people who, who had a heart to serve without the title, without the position, right? These were leaders or would-be leaders. They were just everyday people in the life and community of the church, but they said, you know what? It's not the title that I want. It's not the position that I want because those titles came afterwards. But it said, hey, if you need someone to bust the tables, I will bust those tables, and I'll do it to the glory of God. If you want me to serve food and be part of the food distribution, even to the least of these, like the widows in our community, the most vulnerable, sometimes the most marginalized, then I will go and serve these people. Sometimes in the church, I feel like we get this order flipped out. You know, leaders who want to be leaders, they want to become chummier with like the, 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 the leaders, you know, instead of like serving the least of these. Or you have leaders who want title and position and authority, but without real any sense of responsibility, right? And that's what kind of actually creates disorder and dysfunction in the church. And so when you guys are looking for future leaders of this house, and that includes your pastor, does this person serve? Does this person have the leadership example of Jesus who's willing to tie a towel around his waist, humble himself even though he was Lord and God to the posture of the most menial, lowest servant and be willing to do the dirty things like wash the dirty feet of those or bust tables that the, that the widows would eat off of. I think that's a high value that we should look for because that was Jesus' value, John 13, 14 through 15. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed it over you. He says, don't lord this position and authority over people because that's what the people of the world do. But I've set an example for you so that you would actually go and serve by washing each other's feet. Can I get an amen? And you don't have to have the title of leader to do this. This is a command for every disciple and follower of Jesus. Can I get an amen? 
to wash the feet of your wife, your husband, to wash the feet of your children, to wash the feet of your fellow church members here. I love every time I've come here. I don't know who Elton is. Elton, who are you? Oh, Elton, okay. Yes, he's always going to pick up the food and bring lunch. The shout out that we gave to the media team that's always working behind the scenes. Hey, they are, sure, they are modeling what servant leadership is like. And I pray that THMC, many more of you, rather than just coming to a service on Sundays just to receive, that God will move something in your heart to say, hey, I know if the church is gonna grow, the capacity has to grow. And the capacity, I'm not just talking about like the core leader, I'm talking about all of the leaders who bear and share the weight of responsibility to say, I wanna step up and I wanna do something, even if it's to, you know, take half the rotations that Elton has so that he doesn't have to do it every week. I will do it every other week. Even if it's just to say, you know what, just to greet people who are coming through the door. Even if it's just to say, you know, I want to come early just to pray before the worship service. Whatever ministry that there is allowed for you and that God has for you here, you play a role in building up the house of God and the family of God. Can I get an amen? Amen? Yeah. And so... Just to highlight this, I just want to close with one story and then we'll get into. Um, I learned this lesson the hard way, you know. Um, I was at a, a small church in Koreatown for pretty much like 20 years. And that's where I grew up. That's really where I got saved and that's where I received my calling into ministry. And um, I learned so many things about church, by the way, by being at that small church. And um, um, that's, but that's another message for another time. But when I first received the invitation to come to Sarang Community Church, which is my, you know, the, the, the church that I was at previously and where I was serving as a pastor, um, I was a little bit, um, I had a little bit of attention because I was like, I really didn't like big churches. You know, growing up in a small church, I didn't like how some people were leaving our church to go to these bigger churches. And I had kind of this um, growing resentment towards big church. You know, and, and, you know, and, and I met uh, someone who I had gone to missions with, and he said, hey, I, I prayed about this, and I think you should come and, and serve alongside me as the college pastor. So I prayed about it. Long story made short, nine months, I said no. I said no, 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 no. I don't believe in big church. I said all of these things. And finally, uh, while I was actually in Mexico, New Mexico, uh, doing summer missions, the Lord spoke to me and said, you have, this, is, this is where I'm sending you. And then my heart began to turn. So coming to this big church, I had imagined, wow, like I'm going to be having to serve all of these people and, you know, I'm going to be preaching there and I'm going to be, you know, like, uh, you know, leading ministry time. And I had all these like grandiose visions of like what ministry in a big church context would look like. So I come to Sarang and, um, you know, we, would, we go to the first joint EM college service. And the EM pastor, I was sitting in the very front where all the pastors sit. It's kind of like the, the seat of honor. Like, I noticed no one really sits there, right? Because I guess the pastors sit there, right? Well, we had a section like that in our EM. And I would sit there, and I was sitting in the second row because, you know, I'm like, I'm just an associate pastor. So I'm like in the second row. And then the EM pastor turns around and says, hey, uh, can I ask for a favor? Could you, um, could you get the lights uh, for me when we go into worship? Can you turn off the lights? 
And uh, when we go into, when the service is done, can you turn on the lights? Oh, by the way, halfway through, when I go up and preach, can you turn on the lights again? Turn it back off before we go to ministry time, and then turn it on again after the service concludes. And I was like, okay, off, on, off, on. Okay, so I go to the back. I'm trying to be this faithful servant. And that happened not just for that Sunday, but actually for the first probably four months at my time at Sarang, I led no Bible study I did not give a single message, but my responsibility was light boy. And I was like, I left my church where I was preaching weekly, where I was like leading Friday night Bible studies, I was praying for people, and here I am, I have this title of pastor, but yet I'm just in the back to turn on the lights, turn off the lights, turn on the lights, and turn it off. And honestly, something started to bother me. Something started to bother me. Years later, I came across a quote from that same pastor, Wayne Cordero, who illustrated the capacity stuff. He said, if you ever want to know if someone has the true heart of a leader, right, a servant leader, if you really want to know, does this person really possess the heart of a servant leader, wait until they are actually treated like one. Not like a leader, but like a servant. And oh my gosh, I was so convicted. Because here I am, I thought, here I'm this big, you know, pastor serving at this big church and I should have a seat of honor, not the first row. God, I'm humble enough to say I'll sit in the second row, but here I am in the very back being light boy, right? And it's a silly story, but I'm I'm just telling you, that was really the condition of my heart, right? And I think God... You know, in his kindness, you know, he was dealing with me. Because he doesn't want the kind of leadership model that somehow has kind of worked its way into the church. Church is, it's not a business, guys. There are principles, organizational theory can be applied to church, but man, hey, Jesus' model was, I will get down and I will serve. I will sacrifice. I will humble myself, right? That another person would benefit from it. And again, the true test of that will come in you don't get the position, you don't get the title, but you have a task or you're given a responsibility. How will you respond, right? We need someone to help out ultimately with food distribution. Right? Oh, I don't have the title of a leader, but how will you respond? Right? Well, maybe in the worship team, right? You're, you, you, you want to go up and sing in the worship team, but then you're asked, hey, for at least a month or two, can you just come and observe and see what life in the team is like? How will you respond? There are always character checks that God places in our lives, and that is not only for our good, it's actually for the good of the church as well. But all that to say, when the leadership capacity and the quality of the leadership grows, so will the church. That's exactly what happens. Acts 6, the story begins with the problem, but in the solution of increasing the capacity, both in terms of quantity and quality, we're told that the word of God continued to increase number of disciples continue to multiply. And great, even the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. 
nepisou o THMC. Can I get an amen? That what God did for the early church, that God will do for this church. And that begins with you. Whether you have the title or not, whether you have some sort of position or not, it begins with you to say, I want to help our current capacity that might look like this so that it could look a little bit more like this. I want to help so that even though I don't have the title or the position, I will still humbly serve. And I want to build a good reputation and good relationship with people in the community so that I would be able to do, right, what is best for the church and what is best for the community of faith. All of you guys have a role in that. All of you guys have a part in that. I pray that that will be the storyline of THMC moving forward. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads. Hmm. I just want to begin um, by asking you, as you just take time to just allow this word to just sift through your heart. What is the truth that God is bringing to you? As you reflect and review this message, what is the challenge you feel like the Lord is giving to you today? Maybe for some of you it's to say, you know what, I've kind of been on the sidelines and I've been kind of watching from afar, but maybe it's my time to to step in. Maybe not every week, but even to be part of a rotation where I can help, where I can help serve so that the capacity of the church can grow. Maybe others of you, maybe the Lord is really prompting something in you where, you know, he knows you're gifted, he knows you're talented, but he wants really your character to shine. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's the fact that, hey, don't just rely on just faithful duty alone, but walk with me and be filled with the Spirit so that I can give you the wisdom that you need to navigate life, leadership, church, ministry, everything else. What is the word that the Lord is bringing to you? And just hold on to that just for a brief moment. THMC, can I just ask you to do something today? I want to pray for two things. Number one, can you pray for your church? Can you pray for THMC? Can you thank God for this church? I know you guys have gone through a lot. Not to the measure, not to the detail, but just from what I glean, I know you guys have been through a lot and still are going through this time of transition. But hey, in this month where we celebrate gratitude, in this month where we choose to not just focus on what we don't have, but what we do have, can we just begin to thank God for this church? Not the building, not the worship service. I'm talking about the person that's next to you. And just thank God. Lord, thank you for THMC. Thank you for calling me here. I just want to say thank you. Can we just make that a prayer right now? Yeah.
Thank you, God. Thank you for your precious church. I thank you for every person that you've called here, every person that you've called home. I thank you, God, Lord, for those whom you are moving their hearts, God, where you're saying, Lord, it's time for me to take ownership of this house and to take ownership of this family. And I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for this family. As I was preparing this message, I really felt like I um, just felt led to pray for the leaders of this house. And I'm not sure if you guys all know, you know, in this season of transition, who they all are. But I know that there are seven of you guys who are part of like the core leadership, the core team. And I just wanted to, just as a symbol and as a gesture to say, hey, um, we want to come alongside the leadership and that we want to stand with the leadership and that we are actually for this leadership. I want to just ask if you are a, um, one of the seven of those key leaders, can I just ask you to just stand right now? And in fact, can I just ask you to come up to the, f- the front? Yeah, come up to the front. Stand next to me. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And as they come on up, can you guys just give them a round of applause? Yeah, just to encourage them. And the Sinead's in the back. And church, I know we're all comfortable in our rows, but can I ask you to all stand as well? And uh, I don't want to do the outstretched arm thing today. I want you guys to come. Come up. Come up to the front. I thought it was really, it would be really more powerful um, if we can just symbolically even just come around them, just in a big circle. And if you guys, this, yeah, if you guys can just come together. Okay. Yeah. As we're praying for the leadership, again, we're really praying into the church. And uh, we're not just praying for the leaders, but we're praying for all of these leaders who are praying for all of the ministries, like the worship team leaders, people who serve behind the scenes, all of that. It's a collective body coming together as a family to say, hey, Lord, we bless this leadership. We also bless this church. And so I'm going to just ask again, if you guys can come together a little more tighter. And guys, can you just lay your hand upon a leader here? Yeah. I feel in my heart for you, um, team that man you know you guys have carried quite a burden and it's the burden of leadership you know it's not just even about the tasks it's not even about just even the responsibilities but it's the weight of leadership sometimes that's the most challenging thing and I just want you to know that just as Galatians chapter 6 says right you are not to carry this burden alone as we come alongside you, we want to carry each other's burdens. Can I get an amen, church? Carry each other's burdens, right, as a way of fulfilling the law of Christ. And so I want you guys to lean into your leaders. Leaders, I want you guys to lean into your members. And can we just pray and ask that God would ease the burden, that God would actually ease the yoke, and that if some of them are tired, if some of them are discouraged, if some of them, 
you know, just their heart is failing because of the season that they're in, can you just pray, Lord, would you strengthen my sister? Would you strengthen my brother? God, would you fill them with the Holy Spirit, God? Would you fill them anew, God, so that, Lord, that their faith would be renewed, so that their heart of worship, God, and service would be renewed. And God, Lord, their their tenderheartedness for the church would come alive in Jesus' name. So can we just begin to pray for that? And afterwards, we'll pray for one more thing, and then we'll close our time of worship today. Let's pray. Father, we just come, and I ask you in the name of Jesus. church is going through an uncertain time as we're going to see the early church go through the same Acts 7 and 8 kind of the fairy tale part of the first six chapters is going to go through a big shift and I think there's going to be a lot of good things for you guys to glean from that but just understand sometimes uncertainty and even some instability can be part of the journey can I get an amen we just want to declare God's leadership over THMC, right? And I want us to pray, Lord, help us, God, to go through this season trusting in the leadership of Christ over His church. And God, would you do something new? Can I just invite you to just declare with faith Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, See, do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing and say, Lord, yes and amen. Lord, would you come and do that, God, in our family here at THMC? So let's just begin to lift up our voices and let's just pray that God would do a new thing in the family of THMC. And afterwards, I'll close us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and we just thank you, God, that you have called this church, God, Lord, Dogamsa Home Mission Church, to be a home to be a family, God, and to be a community of faith, Lord, that is going to go through the seasons of not only the highs, but even the lows together, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that there is a collective group of people, God, that is holding on to you, that is holding on, God, to each other, God, that is holding on, Lord, to the promise, Lord, that God has for this church, Lord. And I just pray that you would do a new thing, God, and Lord, that even if it means, and it, even if it means that we have to take, Lord, decisions that are filled with faith, that, that can be even hard or even scary, that you would allow this church, God, to not only survive, but Lord, to thrive under the leadership of Christ, Lord. So thank you. Thank you. 
Lord, thank you, God, for THMC. Thank you, God, for the people whom you've called here. And thank you for the work that you are going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.